It is good to be here today. Uh, there was a little technical difficulty. That is because I shake a lot. And I guess I slid the thing when I wasn't supposed to. Uh, for those that know me, I shake even if I'm not nervous. So it's not an issue of being nervous and my daughter uh, being here and stirring my heart. It's just uh, a natural thing in me. But other than that, I am emotional. I'm an emotional person. If you're visiting with us, you've come to a great place. I want to share with you, uh, over a decade ago, I got the privilege of coming here to L.A. and coming here specifically to this congregation. Uh, it's been a family to me for uh, over a decade. I've, got, I've gotten to see uh, my children rise up in the faith here, and uh, I'm eternally grateful for this fellowship. So if you're visiting with us, I want you to feel, bienvenido a la familia. It's a great family. God's worked in powerful ways in different people here. You know, this summer has been a very special summer for me. I've gotten to, 30 years ago, I decided to follow Jesus. And uh, I was in Boston back then. I was a college student, a sophomore at Brown University, and uh, God stirred my heart and uh, called me to follow him. Eventually, I left as a missionary and got to go to uh, uh, Florida, got to go to Latin America, and got to come here. And now, the circle finishes around, and we're back in Boston. Um, God has his ways. But one of the special things this summer is I got to go to the different places where I've been a missionary. And I, I want to encourage you to let you know that there are people that love God passionately in each one of those places. It's great to see our churches in Florida doing well and strengthening and, and really powerfully growing in the faith. Uh, also, the churches in Latin America uh, got to go to Panama this, this summer. Got to go to San Pedro Sula with my son on a medical brigade. And that was a very stirring time. Uh, an opportunity for him, uh, who had been born in Latin America but had grown up most of the time in the States, to see the needs of people back there. And it was uh, amazing to see what God does in our hearts when we see that the world is way bigger than us. You know what I mean? Um, and so uh, I bring you greetings from those churches. Also, we got to uh, share with Peter Garcia, uh, working together in Mexico City with the church there. And it's great to see a faithful church of over 3,000 disciples south of the border passionately wanting to grow and glorify God. And for me, it's very stirring to have gone to those places, but now to be here, another one of the places where I got to be a, a minister for a decade and more. So uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your growth. Uh, again, if you're visiting with us, you're in an awesome place to glorify God and to draw closer to him. Uh, as Peter mentioned today, you're going to start a series called Follow, which I, I'm thrilled to be able to uh, share it with you because to me, that's what my life has been about. You know, why have you done what you've done? You know, if, you weren't, if Jesus weren't a piece of it, honestly, my life makes no sense. But with him, there's so much sense to what life is about. And so today, what the series is about is to consider, have you followed Jesus? You know, many of us, for me, 30 years ago, life was, you know, typical life of a college student focused on himself. If you ask me about religion... Religion was more about what, what does Jesus say that I have to do? You know what I mean? Where Christianity and religion was a list of to-dos. You do this, you don't do this. You do this, you don't do this. You do this, you don't do that. Maybe you could relate it to uh, Simon Says. Simon Says this, jump. And so you jump. Simon Says sit, so you sit. For me it was sit, kneel, up, stand, do, uh, you know. A bunch of rituals that I really un didn't understand. What's this all about? In my case, it was a place where you had to come in and speak quietly and behave, and your mom would pull your ear. 
Because Jesus says. And some of us can relate to growing up in that kind of setting. And maybe you can relate somewhere along the line. When I got to college, I said, I am not going to be part of that. But what was thrilling to me was to find an opportunity to see that Christianity was not about assignment says do's and don'ts. And I hope if you've had an experience in religion where uh, it's been about do's and don'ts, that today you can clean the slate and decide, let me give Jesus a chance. Let me not look at qualifying Jesus for the religious do's and don'ts that we so easily get entangled. Some of us have personalities where we like do's and don'ts. And we have checklists in life. We wake up and, okay, here go, here go, I did my day. And that's nice for those people. But the reality is there's many other people who have not that kind of personality at all, but that really we're relational people. And it's important for us to grasp that Christianity is really not about Jesus says or as Simon says of do's and don'ts, but it's an extremely relational faith. When Jesus came, he was trying to establish an extraordinary relational faith. What do I mean? If you read the book of, any, well, any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but especially John. John is a Gospel where Jesus spends the entire book talking about his dad. He's like a proud son bragging about the dad. Extremely relational, thrilled about his dad. And so he spends the entire book saying, let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about my father. I dare you, if you look at the book of John and you look at the to-dos and to-don'ts, and you miss the father-son relationship, you've missed the book. And so, honestly, I think many of us growing up focus so much on the do's and don'ts of religion. And it can be Christianity. You can honestly, in any other religion, there's also a set of things to do and things to don't. And many of us can get lost in that and miss the point to what Christianity really is all about. In Christianity, Jesus presents this relational dynamic in multiple ways. The most common one is this father-child relationship. And he talks about God being our father. He presents God not as a being way out there, just a creator, but he presents him as somebody that we can build a relationship with. And so throughout his life, but not only in his life, he's trying to teach us that that's what he wants us to have. And so I welcome you today to start a journey to decide, I want to have a relationship with the Father. He also presents it with the concept of vine and branches. A vine to a branch, you think a vine says, hey branch, do this. Hey branch, do that. Not at all. The reality of a vine to a branch is it provides an environment of life so that the branch can live. And so as a result, the branch can grow. That's the idea that he's wanting to build with us. I'll go back to this father-child. You know why I'm here? Two reasons. First, because I get to encourage you guys, and I get very encouraged by being with you guys. But I tell you the biggest driving force. A couple of weeks ago, some stranger called me and said, why don't you come and we take a 3,000-mile ride together? You think I'd hop on a plane for a stranger? 
to drive 3,000 miles with him and spend six days with him? Honestly, don't think so. But if your daughter says that, says, Dad, yeah, I'm ready to go back, or go to, not back, because Boston's not really back. We moved. She didn't. But this uh, change is going to tear my heart. And I don't want to just jump on a plane and get there. I want to go through the morning. And so I want to drive back. I said, well, you're 21, but you know what? You're not going to do this alone. I said, I'll give you a couple of choices. And one of the choices was, I'll do this with you. And when your 21-year-old daughter says, great, I'll do it with you, Dad, you go, I'll drop whatever. Because if your 21-year-old wants to spend a week with you in a car, <laughs> hey, this is amazing. I might need an operation after, if you know what I mean. But it'll be worthwhile. You know why? Because it's relational. And that's what God is like with you. He's willing to take a 3,000 or even longer journey to grab your hand, to walk with you, and to take you on the next step of the journey that you have to take. He also presents the concept with a shepherd and sheep. We don't understand this much because most of us have never been around farms. But what I'm told is that sheep can hear the voice of a shepherd and can recognize it. And as a result, they go a different direction because they hear the shepherd. Why? Because a relationship has been built over time and so they're sensitive to that noise. You know, in our family, we have a whistle. If I go, <whistles> any one of my kids, I don't care where we are, goes, <laughs> they've been trained like sheep. <laughs> but you know why you do that? Because when you live as a missionary in a place like Mexico City, you need more than a whistle, but at least you got a whistle. Where when you got millions of people, at least there's something that if you say, because if you just say, daughter, hija, hijo, that's not enough. But it's amazing how a whistle like that just connects. Why? Because there's a relationship built. In the same way, God is looking to build a relationship with you and I. And in the scriptures, Jesus starts this concept out with a very simple word that he asks Everybody. If you look at the things that Jesus asks of people, there's some very simple things he asks. One of the simplest and most powerful one is to follow. When Jesus starts his relationship with his followers, many of them don't know a thing about him. Many of them have a false impression of who he is. Some think he's going to be a revolutionary. Some think he's going to be a rabbi. They think all kinds of things. But the one thing that they're willing to do is follow him. And in the process of following him, they develop a relationship with him. My desire for you, my challenge for you today, more than anything else, is to be willing to say, you know what? I want to find out what following him is all about. 
I want to encourage you to put aside all the do's and don'ts, all the religious whatever you've had, whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's the 360 Commandments, whatever it is that you come up with from your background. I want you to put that to the side and go, wait a second. Let me start where they started. And they started with following him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, if you go to the scripture, I want to share with you a story of somebody that I really love. I've gotten to appreciate this guy more and more over time. And it's Matthew himself. I love it. The author of the first gospel shares in this story about himself. And he shares who he was, and he shares how he came to follow Jesus. And so in Matthew 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Tax collectors. At the time, the worst of the worst. I mean, they had the worst reputation. Their reputation is so bad that later on we'll see that tax collectors and sinners are two different qualifications. Because sinners didn't even want to be qualified with tax collectors. In other words, I'm a sinner, but I'm no tax collector. If you look at the scriptures, oftentimes you'll see tax collector and prostitutes next to each other. Why? Because socially they're the misfits of society. Everybody else would say, you know what? Yeah, I might even get to admit that I'm a sinner. But don't call me a tax collector. Why? Because those guys were seen as traitors. They were Jewish traitors, basically, that were working for the Roman government. And so since they were working for the Roman government, they would steal. And the rest of the Jews would see them as thieves and as traitors. So they hated them. And so if you think about the followers of Jesus going on this journey, he's got a few followers already. He doesn't have the 12 all set yet, but he's got a few following. And they're thinking, okay, who's the next guy? Who's the next guy? Who's the next guy? And you see Jesus walking to this tax collector booth, and he goes, follow me. To whom? To the tax collector. I want you to think about how the rest of the guys thought about this. Peter's going, Jesus, are you kidding? I mean, we're already getting a dangerous reputation. Now we're going to have a horrible reputation. When a rabbi would say to a follower, follow, it was more than just, hey, follow me. It was really a calling to a relationship. And it was a calling to, I will identify myself with you if you will identify yourself with me. You know what I mean? Our tendency is it not that there's a certain group of people go, yeah, okay, I want to be identified with this group. But with this other group, eh. This is huge for me personally. I grew up pretty snobby. Went to an Ivy League school, even more snobby. Qualified myself in saying, well, I'll respect a certain group of people, and if they have certain IQ, I will. Other than that, I won't. And then I come into Christianity, and it's Because I see, oh, my word. Boy, have I limited myself. And has he, is he opening my mind and my heart to see that he calls all kinds of people to follow him. And if you're going to be a follower of him, you've got to be able to love all kinds of people. And so he says, follow me. Imagine again the crowd. Oh, are you kidding? It's as simple as that? That's all you're going to ask of him? Don't you understand he's a thief? You're going to be okay with him just following you and that's it? What's up with all the, aren't you going to set a bunch of steps before and then check him out and then wait and see? 
No, he just says, follow him. And so, Matthew, guess what? Got up and followed him. As simple as that. This is a tax collector. And he's telling his story. He's telling you his testimony about how he became a follower of Jesus. You know what I love about this? This guy started out the worst of the worst. You know what he ends up doing? He gets to be an apostle. Well, first a disciple. Then an apostle. That's not enough. He goes with Jesus three years. He gets to write the first gospel ever written. Who wrote it? The thief, the tax collector. What did he do? One simple thing. He started following. And as a result of him starting to follow, who knows where that road ends. And that's my encouragement to you is regardless of who you are today, I want you to believe I'm just being called to take one little step. I have no clue where that step's going to lead me. But I'm going to take a step of following him. And then let him decide where this journey goes. Did he say, if you're willing to do this and this and this, you can follow me? Did he? But think about it. How often do we not look at ourselves and look at other people? If you're willing to do this, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to do that, then, yeah, then we can talk. But at first glance, eh. If you're dressed a certain way, eh. If you look a certain way, eh. If you have this kind of background, eh. But he doesn't do that. Let's go on. What does he do? Next slide. He asks, are we following him? And today, I don't want you to think about, did I have a prayer time? Did I say hi to the right person? Did I greet the right person? Did I do my five rituals that have to be done so that I can call myself a good Christian? I want you to put all that to the side and decide, okay, one thing I've got to come out today deciding is, am I following? It sounds simple. But you start doing it for real, and it's amazing what happens with your life. But it's as simple as that, what he's asking for us to do. Am I following? And so Matthew starts following. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, oh, oh, let's follow him. And you know where we're going to go? Hey, Matthew, I'm going to bring you to an environment where you'll feel really weird. No. You got to come and hang out with my group. No. Jesus says, oh, let's go to your house. Oh, and you know what? Why don't we invite your friends? You know, I'm really challenged by this. Because I think how often, and as a ministry even more so, how often do I spend time wrapped up around ourselves? And as a result, all my time is around other Christians. And then I invite somebody and they kind of have to come to my environment. But what Jesus does is totally the opposite. He says, come follow me to this guy who socially is totally unacceptable. And then he says, let's go hang out at your place. And by the way, let's not just hang out at your house. Let's invite many of your tax collector friends. Oh, boy, what a party. <laughs> Imagine again the, the disciples, the early leaders. Wait a second, we're going where? Oh, look at this. We're going to the rich neighborhood. This is good. Oh, wait a second. We're going to his house? you got to be kidding 
Oh, what are they going to say about us? Oh, what are the religious gang going to say about us? This is like going to the worst of the worst of the worst neighborhood. We can't hide there. And so they're all there. You know what's interesting? They all came and ate with him. How do you think these tax collectors are feeling around Jesus? You think they feel stiff-necked? They feel uptight? You know, it was extraordinarily comfortable, Jesus was, with people who were nothing like him. He did not just grab the little group of people and go, okay, you guys fit, and it's all cool. He got himself around people that were radically different from him, and he made them feel comfortable. This is a challenge for us. You know that there's some people, you know some people that are, are this way. That they, they make an environment, everybody feel comfortable, everybody feel loved, and that's great. But the reality is most of us don't. Most of us, there's a segment of society that we do well with. Right? And then there's others who are like, no, 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 you can't be like them. Can't be like the old folks, can't be like the teens, can't be like the ambulance, can't be of this background or that background, you know? But he makes everybody feel, hey, this is great. I've been considering this myself and deciding I've got to get myself around people for people's sake, period. Not with an agenda, not with an expectation, but simply to be like Jesus. You know, we had dinner with a couple who, they, they come from a Jewish background. They're very well-to-do. They aren't necessarily interested in the church. But you know what? Who cares? I need to be around them. But I need to decide to be around them and enjoy being around them and make them feel comfortable being around me even though we don't necessarily have to talk about my, my subjects, my areas. This past weekend, we got to uh, have breakfast with a lawyer. And, you know, we're having breakfast. He doesn't know I'm a minister. And he's, his mouth is, wow, it's a sailor's mouth. I mean, it's just out there. Everything's coming out. And then he finds out I'm a minister and he keeps going. <laughs> and you know, I thought, well, I need to create an environment where he can feel okay to be with me, not, oh, you know, I'm higher than thou. <laughs> There's no chance for him to get to know God through me if, if I'm stiff-necked, you know what I mean? So I'm challenged to make sure that, wow, if Jesus could make these tax collectors feel comfortable around him, what about you? Do people feel comfortable around us? And if you're visiting with us, honestly, this is one of our biggest challenges as the church gets older. We can get stuck in our ways. And we, can, we don't even know it, but we can make people feel really uncomfortable just being around us. Whether it's our language, our approach, whatever it is. And it's a challenge to us. And if you're visiting with us today, if in any way we are making you feel uncomfortable or, you know, kind of not a part of, forgive us. That's us. That's not our Savior. That's not what he's like. We're growing and we're trying to become more like him. And it's, it's, we've got some things deeply ingrained in us that we got to let go. But uh, please bear with us and focus on him, not on us. Let's go on. And so he goes on in Matthew 9, verse 11, 
So it's when the Pharisees say, oh, here they come. The religious guys that were observing, they're going, oh, what are they doing? Saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Guess who was not at the dinner? They're outside. Partially, they're like, I'm not going in there. What are you kidding? I get dirty. I mean, for them, it was really, they will get dirty. They saw it as uh, spiritually unclean. And so they're struggling with that because in their religious nature, they had seen as that was inappropriate, this was appropriate. And we struggle with the same thing. We can look at certain things and go, why? Because it doesn't fit our box. And we got to make sure that we don't get Pharisaic in our religion. Come on. On hearing this, so Jesus is hearing this thing. So they're outside. They must be saying it pretty loud. He's having dinner. Notice what Jesus says. Now notice where he is. Where's he sitting? He's at dinner. At whose place? At Matthew's. Who else is around him? All the other tax collectors, right? And so he says, hey. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So Matthew's like, Sick? What do you think Jesus said? Hey, Matthew, come on. You're a tax collector. Give me a break. It's pretty obvious. You're sick, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm sick. And so he looks at the other tax collector. Yeah, we're sick. Hey, we're sick. Hey, high fives. We're all sick. And so they're okay with who they are, you know? And that's important for us. We can never forget. You know, 30 years later, I'm still sick. I still need help. The minute I don't need help, woe is me. The minute you think you've got it all so together, woe is you, careful. Because who are we? We are sick, needing help. That's okay. And so I gotta ask you. I mean, the, the tax collectors were pretty at peace with it. Wait, we're sick. And so they got help. Today, I don't care how many years, how many days, You've come here. Are you sick? I tell you what, to my prideful Ivy League nature, man, I felt like, what do you, somebody said that to me? I think, what do you think you are? Yeah, they are all sick. <laughs> totally. They need this. I got this friend that whenever I go visit him, he says, oh, you got to take so-and-so. He really needs church. My friend just got separated. Hey, buddy, who else needs it? And I go get my haircut with him. Part of the reason I go get my haircut with him is because he won't answer some other calls. So I go there and I go, now you got to talk to me because you're cutting my hair. <laughs> and he starts opening up during that time. And so we scheduled that next week we're actually going to take a walk and pray and talk. Because he's finally... Sadly, it's had to come to this for him to say, I'm sick. Something's wrong here. I need help. You know, God, God wants to reach us in a lot of ways. He, he, it doesn't have to come to atrocities if we start admitting 
We've got need. And the reality is it's, it's only men and women who are willing to look in the mirror. Really. Not the mirror and forget it, you know. Not the mirror with makeup. That can be candidates to follow Jesus. They go, I need direction. I need clarity. I need some help. People who know I have a need, wow. It's amazing that it doesn't matter their intellectual level, their upbringing, but it's more their heart and their desire that, boop, makes them willing volunteers to grow with God. And so again, the question is, are you willing to admit there's, there's needs? You know, are you sick? I mean, you've got to think about it. Are there rules you ask your children to fulfill that you're not willing to? Are there standards that you set for other people, maybe employees, that you go, not, not, not me? Are you managing internet in a way that isn't appropriate, and even though you tell other people not to? Is it the standard, do as I say, not as I do? Because that's, that's kind of sick, you know what I mean? And if so, we need help. Let's go on. And so in Matthew 9, verse 13, now he's still having dinner, and he's still talking to the guys on the other side. He says, hey, hey, go tell the Pharisees. Now for the Pharisees, this was painful. I mean, it was insulting. Because the Pharisees were religious guys who dedicated themselves to being good and to being students. And so he says to them, go and learn what this means. It's in Hosea, so they should have learned it years ago. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So he's telling them, you've got to learn something. You've got to learn that following me is more than about doing the right things or knowing the right things. But that beyond that, I'm, I've, I've come to call you, that there's a purpose for your life. I mean, Jesus did the right things, knew the right things, but he didn't stop there. He came to call other people. And in the same way, he's calling for us to do this, the same. He says, I'm not content to be with people who just believe all the right things. And I'm not content to just hang around with those who behave all the right ways. That's Jesus' standard. That was not enough for him. But I think we've got to be also in the same way. As a church, we can very easily become, and let me speak to those that are Christians, that call themselves Christians for a little bit. And if you're visiting with us, just uh, bear with me a little bit. We cannot be content with being people who just believe the right things. And I got a checklist of the right doctrine, so therefore, I'm good. And we can't be content with just adding to that, I behave the right way. Look at the checklist of my things that I do, and therefore, I'm good. If we've accomplished that and that's all we've accomplished, we've just become Pharisees. And so at this dinner, we wouldn't be at the dinner. We'd be outside. That's the last place I want us to be. And so if we're going to be inside with him, we've got to understand that yes, these are two things we've got to do. We've got to make sure we believe the right things and we behave the right ways. But then we're really, we're here called 
He came to call. He's calling for us to call. In other words, he cared about other people in the same way we've got to care about others. We can't just leave it at our behavior and I'm done. It's not a balloon that I create and I protect myself in it. It's something that I am called to bring others, those that are admitting that they have needs and that are looking for somebody to show them, you know what, there's got to be a way. And that someone that will behave like Jesus will say, you know what, I'll speak to them the same way Jesus spoke to Matthew. And I'll say, let's follow him. And he's calling us to be that kind of people. Let's go on. The Pharisees would say, and please hear this one out, because I think for us with our heritage, this is a challenging one. The Pharisees would say, change and you can join us. Right? I mean, this, this, this phrase hits me pretty hard. Because I've called a lot of people to change and you can join us. And this seems very appropriate. But I want you to think about what did Jesus do with Matthew? Did he call him to change first? It's blow away. He didn't. I've gone to different nations to say to people, change and you can join us. And it's blow away for me to consider, whoa. Jesus said, join us. Follow. You know what's going to happen? You'll change. Cart before the horse? I, mean, I, don't know if, I don't know about you, but for me, I've been doing this for a couple of years, 30. It's like, bam! Oh, wow. How many people did I just not even, they didn't even get to know him. Didn't get close to the door. Because I put so many change. And then you join us. Now, will they have to change? Yeah. But hey, join us. Join us in doing what? In following him. And when you join us in following him, you know what? You will change. And as a parent, those that are parents can get this one. For many of us, it took this much to grasp this concept. Because once you become a father or a mother, you realize, this can't be about change and then you join us. Because that, that's messed up. But as a father and mother, you realize, oh, wow. My goal's got to be join us. Hang around the environment. Be around it enough, and it will change you. And I'm so deeply, deeply grateful to God that in spite of my mistakes, God has put, at least in my daughters, that sense. And that they've joined the environment enough to go, I get it. He's worth it. And they've gone on a journey to follow him. And I'm so proud of them. When we left as missionaries from here, well, left back to Boston from here, first Diana, the oldest, went off as a missionary to, to uh, Arizona. Why? It wasn't because I had a bunch of list of to-dos. It was she had joined him enough and she had changed to say this is a different purpose from her own purpose. For Elena to stay here 
big part of the reason she stayed was because she had joined him. And she had changed. I'm very encouraged to see the progress in Adrian, our son. We went on a medical brigade this summer, and it really helped him a lot to meet up with uh, the directors of an orphanage and to hear of a girl who was uh, celebrating her quinceañera who had been left in the orphanage by her mother and sold basically for 50 cents on the dollar. That blew him away. More than anything else I've done or his mother's done, anybody's done, Adrian started crying. And he said, I don't cry. He doesn't. He doesn't cry often. He doesn't cry for other people. But seeing that people have that kind of need and joining disciples that have been doing this has begun to soften his heart in a way that other things haven't. And so I, it makes me think how much I need to make sure that I don't focus on change and then join us. But join us. He'll change you. Because you know what? We believe, well, back up, back up. We believe that he's powerful enough. He's worthy enough. And that if you fall in love with him, wow, you'll do whatever. You've, you've been in love, right? You know, when you're in love, you're, you're willing to do some things that otherwise you wouldn't do. Isn't that true? I mean, when, when Kelly and I were dating, she went to school in Pennsylvania first. And I was at Brownwood. I'd drive 12 hours to see her and 12 hours back. It was nuts. <laughs> By the second time I did it, I almost, I, I fell asleep on the wheel and I was ready to die. I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. We got to change this. Well, why'd you do it? Because you're in love. You imagine a list of to-dos? You got to go do this. Now because you have a dating relationship, you got to drive 12 hours to go see her. Are you kidding? You go, no, I don't do it. But when you're in love, you're willing to do whatever. That's what we want to make sure you focus on. Because when you follow him, he will blow you away. And you'll be inspired by him. Again, he's focused on relationships. So, in closing... Four things about following Jesus. Number one, being a sinner does not disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. Come on. Don't you love it? If you think you're perfect, you're in trouble. Because you don't make the first qualification. And so I hope today you can walk out and go, all right, all right, all right. If I'm calling, if they're asking me to follow him, do I qualify? Am I a sinner? Yes, you've sinned. We all have. And so it doesn't disqualify you. It's a prerequisite that you start figuring it out. I have needs. I'm not perfect, and I need help. All right, second, following Jesus. Being an unbeliever, this one will blow you away. Being an unbeliever does not disqualify you. This is big. Because we live and we come from a heritage that is very intellectually based. The heritage of the International Churches of Christ is very logic-based and very Bible-based, which is great. But it tends to assume that people believe. 
And so that assumption limits a lot of people from being exposed to Jesus. The point here today is if you go, well, I don't know if I believe. Well, I got doubts. Welcome to the club. You're not alone. I want you to think about his followers. You know, these guys, he goes, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they follow him. Follow me. You know, and he says it all the time. If you read the Gospels, you'll see sometimes two years into the Gospel, I mean, he's been, they've been following him for two years, and all of a sudden, and they believed. Go, what are you kidding? What have you been doing for two years? You've been around the Son of God. Think we got it. And so if today you don't believe, you know what? Welcome to the row. This is just, let's get started. And come join us in getting to follow him. In John he says, if you follow my commands, then you will know if they come from God. Then you will know if they're true. So I want to challenge you. If today you're an unbeliever to decide, I'm going to put this thing to a test. You know, I come from a scientific background. And I sat down with a teenager this past week, and he's saying, well, science and the Bible, I'm not sure. I go, I love that. You want proof? 9.8 meters per second square works every time, right? Okay, in the same way, I believe in the same way, you test God in terms of putting into practice what he says, and it works. And when it works, you go, wow, 2,000 years ago this thing was written, and it works today. That's not God, what is it? Try psychology that it was uh, 50 years old. It's too old. And so being an unbeliever, if you go through a journey of unbelief, welcome to the journey. I've been at this 30 years, and there's been stages of unbelief time and time again. I don't think he has looked at me negatively for it. He's asked me to work through it. Because faith is something that gets developed. And in the process of developing, you are going to face different stages of unbelief. That a 13-year-old believes something. When they're an 18-year-old, now they're bombarded in college with a bunch of atheists, with a new philosophy. Hey, guess what? Your faith is going to be tested. That's okay. Now you got to journey through that and mature through that and go, okay, I'm going to keep putting this into practice. And decide, you know what, this unbelief stage is not going to disqualify me. But I'm in the same group of people as most of Jesus' followers at the beginning. Think about it. We know of Doubting Thomas. You know where that comes from? From the apostle, Doubting Thomas. Who even at the resurrection, he's been with him three years. Jesus dies, he resurrects, and Thomas says, eh, I'm not so sure. Can you imagine? If we were Jesus, we'd go, what are you kidding? Three years? And it's still not enough? But Jesus goes to him, all right, Thomas, you got to do it? Got to touch it? I'm even willing to go to that stage so that you'll believe. He's willing to do a lot with you so that you'll believe. But don't. Get bummed out or feel discounted because you've gone through a journey of unbelief. I want to challenge you in that just to decide, I'm going to follow him and see what happens. Let's go to the next. What's the invitation? The invitation is a relational invitation. 
It's not a work invitation. It's not a duty invitation. He's wanting to build a relationship with you. That if you start following him, he does say, you know, kind of, I warn you, this is going to turn you around. Again, as I shared with a marriage, once you build a relationship, it's not rules, it's not to-dos, it's a relationship. And so that invitation will transform you. And he's planning on transforming you, but based on a relationship, not on to-dos. And finally, what he's saying is, and Paul says this, no, back it up, back it up. Paul says, God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Repentance is change. God's kindness. It's not God's wrath. If you look at your life, we deserve wrath. I mean, if, if somebody really knows your dirt, you know what I mean? Eee. I always say, you know, if you, if you showed a video of my actions to my mother, eee. if you showed a video of my thoughts to my mother, oh, please, right? Do the thoughts deserve wrath? Oh, they're horrible. But it's not that judgment that leads me to repentance. It's his kindness. He's going after you, and he has for years with tenderness, kindness, with all kinds of love. That when we start seeing it, it's like blow, where you go, wow, what, what's so special about me? Why are you so interested in me? But he is. Because through his kindness, he wants to build a relationship with you and show you what unconditional love is all about. And so in closing, for following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am. Where I am in relation to Jesus. Not on where you are or you're not. And that's important for us. That's important because that changes our dynamic towards each other. That instead of looking, oh, look at him. Oh, look at her. Can you believe her? Did you see what, did you hear what she wrote? Did you see what went up on uh, Facebook? Or you just go, you know what? I'm so busy focusing on where I need to go that I got no time to be distracted or to be focused on where you are not. You know, when we do that, the church becomes something amazing. That's one of the things that drew me to the church was a bunch of followers of Jesus that as you looked at them, they were all from different backgrounds. But when you saw the energy of different people following Jesus, you thought, oh, this is amazing. You know, that's, that's what we want to invite you to. That's what our small groups are about. That's what the church is about. Whether it's a campus student, a teenager, a single, an adult, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter in what city. The same spirit of followers of Jesus focused on where we're going. There's an energy about it that's unique because it's contagious. I want to encourage you to decide, you know, that's the kind of follower I want to be. Let's go ahead. And so the more conscious I am of the work God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what God has yet to do in you. And I think as we do this, it'll help us to look with much purer eyes towards ourselves, but also towards other people.
and much more encouraging eyes towards motivating other people to come follow him. And so in closing, one simple question. Are you following him? Because I believe if you do, he will start a journey the same as a tax collector that starts in the dirt, that rises up to become a follower of him, that who knows, maybe he'll use you to write the next special document of his, just like Matthew got a chance to write the first gospel. You know, as I look at my life of 30 years of following him, it's blow away to see what he does when you just simply stay on the course of following him and join others that are passionate about following him. I love you with all my heart. It's great to be with you guys. And we're uh, starting our journey this afternoon. Please pray for our car to last 3,000 miles and uh, for us to not get into a fight, but to draw closer to each other. Love you. Thank you.